the Public News Service daily newscast for February 24, 2023. I'm Mary Sherman. Today marks one year since the Russian invasion of Ukraine, which has killed tens of thousands of people. In recent days, Russia has ramped up hostilities in the Northeast and East. And on Thursday, about three-quarters of UN member states approved a resolution demanding Russia withdraw its troops. Some peace activists are finding the conflict is not so black and white. President Biden has pledged enduring support for Ukraine with humanitarian, financial, and military resources totaling $75 billion. But William Hopkins, executive director of New Hampshire Peace Action, says his organization opposes any further U.S. military shipments to Ukraine. What Russia has done is criminal. It is immoral. It is unjust. But I also feel like we as Americans should own the ways that our own government contributed to creating this. Hopkins says the U.S.-backed coup in Ukraine in 2014 helped fuel the current crisis, which, according to Russian President Vladimir Putin, is now part of a greater battle against the Western elite. Meanwhile, climate activists are making plans to rebuild Ukraine with clean energy once the war ends. Suzanne Potter has the story. Groups of elected officials in both countries are holding informal talks about what they describe as a clean energy Marshall Plan for Ukraine. Igor Tregub is a Ukrainian-American who serves on the leadership council of the nonprofit Elected Officials to Protect America. He says Russia makes $258 million a day in oil and gas profits that fuel its war machine. There is a clear nexus between divesting from fossil fuels, instead investing in a democratized renewable energy supply, such as distributed solar and wind power. The group is working with members of Congress on a bill that would help fund Ukraine's reconstruction in a greener, more sustainable way. Federal investigators say the crew operating a freight train that derailed in East Palestine, Ohio, on February 3rd did not receive a critical warning about an overheated wheel bearing until it was too late. In an attempt to avoid an uncontrolled blast, officials released and burned toxic chemicals from five rail cars, sending a plume of black smoke and flames into the sky. Purdue University professor Andrew Welton has dealt with chemical spills for more than two decades. He says that while only a handful of chemicals has been reported in the spill, potentially hundreds or thousands of volatile and semi-volatile organic compounds have been created. What I would tell people that are affected is that it's their responsibility to ask questions and demand that the questions be answered because officials and agencies sometimes do not act in the direct interest of the people unless they're given guidance by the people and their elected officials. And he says it remains unclear how much of the toxic spill went into storm drains, was flushed down streams, or may have settled to the bottom of waterways. This is Public News Service. More than 10,000 human trafficking situations were identified in the U.S. in 2020, according to data from the Polaris Project. And Edwin J. Vieira has more on what's being done in Virginia to help prevent the crime and help survivors. The Commission on Human Trafficking Prevention and Survivor Support found enforcement hasn't been consistent in the state and says a regional approach would better coordinate law enforcement efforts. The Commission's report also says it's important to seek accountability, not only from traffickers, but those who benefit from criminal conduct and the people who create a demand for this vulnerable workforce. Alex Delgado with ECPAT USA, a nonprofit that works to stop child trafficking, thinks the report should have addressed eliminating life sentences without parole for minors. It would definitely be a big step forward in helping support survivors of human trafficking, especially minors who were forced to do criminal acts 
by the trafficker than are then given life in jail, even though they're minors and clearly something that was done under duress and manipulation. In 2020, Virginia was awarded a grant to develop services for underage victims of sex trafficking. Ohio's governor recently announced $30 million to boost rape crisis services statewide after years of federal funding cuts. Since the start of the pandemic, crisis centers have had to cut staff and reduce service areas amid a rise in survivors seeking assistance. Florida lawmakers are advancing bills that would remove mandatory training and fees to carry concealed weapons. Leon County Sheriff Walt McNeil says he doesn't support the measures because interacting with people carrying weapons becomes much more difficult for his deputies. He points to an ongoing challenge within law enforcement of distinguishing between good guys and bad guys with guns. Trying to make those distinctions in the heat of a situation that you're responding to just changes the dynamics of uh, our interaction with citizens exponentially. And so I, I just don't know the answers to those questions. Second Amendment advocates also are critical of the bills for not going far enough to allow open carry of guns in the state, which some describe as constitutional carry. I'm Tremel Gomes. The U.S. Supreme Court hears oral arguments next week in two cases on student loan debt cancellation. As Daniel Smith reports, groups across the country favoring student debt reduction plan to be there. The new Georgia Project Action Fund is mobilizing about 45 young borrowers of color. Lead organizer Maggie Bell says the amount of student debt eligible for cancellation in Georgia is more than $25 billion. Our demand is that the president and Congress, they take action to cancel student loan debt for black and brown borrowers. Nearly 43 million Americans have federal student loan debt, totaling over $1.62 trillion. I'm Mary Sherman for Public News Service, member and listener supported. Find our eight trust indicators to support transparency and accuracy at publicnewsservice.org.